Genesis chapter 41, verses 25 to 36. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, "The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good years are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years." And seven empty years blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh. God has shown to Pharaoh what He is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them, there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. That famine will consume the land. And the plenty were unknown in the land by reason of famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the things is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and a wise man, and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years, and let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities, and let them keep it. The food shall be reserved for the land against the seven years of famine occur in the land of Egypt, so that land may not perish through the famine. Uh, but everybody who comes gets to participate. Okay, everyone who comes, you, you get to participate, be a part of it. You know, if, if you'd rather just sit, you can. But everybody that comes will have、uh, a part if you want to participate.、Uh, and we need everybody because we have hundreds of, of things that need to be put up. So、um, join us for that. Also, as part of it.、Um, Are these plants?、Uh, for a couple weeks, these bulbs and inserts were in. They're called. It's the、uh, Christmas memorial plant. If you want to give a plant in memory of a,、uh, a you know someone,、um, you know a family member in memory of or in honor of someone,、uh, this is how you do that. And the, these forms are out at the.、Uh, The welcome center、um, out there,、um, and we usually try to get 30 or 40 plants so that we can have them、uh, all over. So, if you didn't know about it, you know about it now. And we usually ask you for a gift of about ten dollars to go with that, if、uh, if you would.、Um, and then the Jesus birthday party. How many of you have never been to the Jesus birthday party? Again, about a third of you. Jesus' birthday party is an awesome thing. We hold it downstairs. We do everybody's birthday, and then we culminate it with with Jesus. So,、um, I, again, I'm going to be contacting some of you to ask you to decorate your month, your birth month.、Um, it'd be nice if you would volunteer, and I wouldn't have to call you. But、uh, we need somebody to decorate every birth month: January, February, March, April. Decorate your area of the fellowship hall. For that, so if if you're willing to do that, you contact me. That'll save me having to contact you、uh, for that. Okay. Thank you very much, and we're looking forward to a great time、uh, together.
I, I guess I might as well throw in Thanksgiving too, right? I mean, Thanksgiving is only four days away, right? Um, if you've never been part of our Thanksgiving football game, that's all I have to say. Uh, okay. We're looking at Genesis, uh, actually chapter 40 and 41 today. Uh, we just read a part of 41. But we're looking at Genesis 40 through uh, 41. And throughout our study of, of Genesis, uh, we have consistently seen how God has connected uh, people together, you know, generation to generation, um, you know, story to story. And before we, we, we kind of remember how to do that, I want to tell you what's going on in chapter 40 and 41, because I've read it, but most of you uh, have not read it recently, maybe. And chapter 40 is, uh, Joseph is still in prison. Remember, he's been you know, sold by his brothers, he's been betrayed, now he's, he's tossed in prison. And he's serving in the prison, and as he's in that prison, uh, two of Pharaoh's um, servants, ministers, uh, sort of like the, the you know, staff people, have also been thrown into the same prison there with Joseph. One of them is the cupbearer. Uh, the cupbearer for Pharaoh would be sort of like our uh, secretary of state, you know, the, the person who, who he bounces things off. So a very important individual. He's not just the person who hands the cup, though he does get to sip the cup first, so that if anybody's going to poison Pharaoh, he dies first. Uh, but he's, he's a very important individual. And then you have the baker. And, of course, he's important because, you know, he has to make sure the staff that's going to be feeding, you know, preparing the food and all, that, that they are loyal so that Pharaoh doesn't get, you know, killed. Both of them have been tossed into prison. We're not told why. We just told that they were tossed into prison. Both of them have dreams on the same night, right? The dreams are fairly similar, um, and so you know, they wake up, and they're distressed about it, trying to figure out what it's about. Uh, Joseph sees that they're distressed. He asks them about it. They tell them, him the dream, and Joseph interprets the dreams for them. But the cupbearer, in three days, he's, he's going to be raised back up to his position, and the baker uh, head is also going to be lifted up off his head, and he is going to be killed. Uh, and it happens. And Joseph asks the cupbearer to kind of tell Pharaoh his story so that he can get out, and the cupbearer, of course, forgets to do that. So we come to chapter 41, and Pharaoh has dreams. He has two dreams. And in those dreams, uh, he, he's... They, they're very similar. The dreams, again, are very similar um, to each other, and nobody can interpret them. The cupbearer remembers what Joseph did, and he says, well, there's a guy in prison who interpreted dreams for me, and it happened just as he said. Maybe he could do that for you. And so um, Joseph is brought out. He's finally given a razor so he can shave and trim his beard and trim his hair and all that kind of stuff. He gets dressed in nice clothes because you can't go in your prison garb before Pharaoh. And he goes in and Pharaoh shares the, the vision with him, uh, the dreams that he had. And Joseph, is, as we saw 
in the text that was read, Joseph interprets those uh, dreams. All right? And then Pharaoh, following what was read this morning, Pharaoh then lists Joseph up and makes him the vizier, the, uh, the, the second only to, the, to Pharaoh in terms of power in the nation. So that's, that's the story that's going on in chapters 40 and, and 41, and that's going to be the backdrop to what we're talking about. But there's a larger backdrop, and that larger backdrop is everything that has happened in the book of Genesis up until this point. So as I pointed out time and time again in these sermons, each introduction of a new character in the line of Adam and Seth has gone through a renewal of the original covenant that God gave to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. All right? Um, so there's a renewal with each of these individuals. Um, starts with Seth, uh, Adam's son, and then you have Noah, and then you have Shem, the son of Noah, then you have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so you have this, this renewal that God does with each of them, of, the, of God's original covenant, reestablishing the covenant and calling them to do what Adam failed to do calling them to be faithful to the covenant and giving them promises that if they fulfill what they were, you know, what, what their part of the covenant is, if they fulfill that, that God will bless them in um, many ways and he will redeem them uh, and, and he will uh, provide for them. The problem is that none of them do it. Like Adam, every single one of them fails. And so they do not keep up their part, but God keeps up his part. And so God, in each of these situations, provides, provides a means to redeem them, to, to, to deal with their sin so that he might bless them. And that's what we've seen consistently as we work through the, the book so far. And now we come to Joseph. And right from the start, if you read the story of Joseph, having read all those other stories, you read the story of Joseph, you find that this young man is unique in his character. He's different from everybody. In the whole lengthy presentation, and and only Abraham has a presentation as long as Joseph. In the long, lengthy presentation that we have of Joseph, not once do we find Joseph failing. He, he, he keeps the covenant from the beginning. We see Joseph trusting God. He reacts in godly ways. He's obedient no matter what kinds of tribulations or troubles that he faces. He walks in obedience. Now, that doesn't mean that Joseph was perfect, that, that he was sinless. Okay? That's not the intention that Moses has when he shares this story. But in all that we are told of Joseph, no failure is pointed out. He has failures. I could tell you some of them, but none of them are pointed out in the text. Joseph then becomes the perfect type, perfect picture of Jesus Christ in the future. And that's not all. Not just the fact that, that no sin is pointed out. But the parallels that we see in Joseph's life are incredible in the, in the comparisons that we find in Jesus' life. So I want to walk us through some of those. We begin with their births. 
All right? Rachel, uh, Joseph's mother, is barren. She's unable to have children, and so Joseph's birth becomes a supernatural intervention of God. What about Jesus? Jesus' mother is a virgin. It's a supernatural act of God in order for Jesus to be born. Joseph has two dreams. In the New Testament, Jesus' father, Joseph, has two dreams. And that's important. We don't have time to go into the Gospel of Matthew and all, but it's very important that those two dreams of Joseph's father, or Jesus' father, are seen to be parallel to the two uh, dreams of Joseph in the Old Testament. Joseph is given God's revelation as a young teen, and we find Jesus beginning his uh, revelation of God in, as a, a young man at 12 years old uh, in the temple. Joseph's family doesn't understand him. And as a matter of fact, they kind of reject him. And his father and mother rebuke Jesus when he's in the temple at 12 years old as he's sharing the revelation of God with them. And what do we find? We find the same thing with Jesus. When he, um, or I'm sorry, Joseph is rejected. We find the same thing with Jesus as his parents um, rebuke him. We have Joseph beginning his ministry as the vizier of Egypt at 30 years old. We have Jesus beginning his ministry at 30 years old. Joseph is betrayed by a close associate, his own brother, Judah. Jesus is betrayed by a close associate, his apostle, Judah. The S ending happens to be the Greek ending instead of the Hebrew ending. Joseph's father believes that Joseph died when the animal is killed by the brothers and his coat is is soaked in its blood, a sacrifice to hide the brothers' sins. Jesus dies as a sacrifice in his father's eyes that our sins might be removed. Joseph starts at a high point in his father's, as his father's favorite, he is then lowered to the lowest point as a slave and a prisoner, and then he is risen to the highest levels in Egypt. Jesus starts as his father's favorite in heaven, is lowered as a servant and imprisoned, and then is raised to the highest level, at which every knee will bow and every tongue confess. And these are just some of the parallels that we see between Joseph of the Old Testament and Jesus in the New Testament. Now that, again, it is not to say that Joseph was, was Jesus in the Old Testament, but it is God preparing us for understanding and seeing that the things in the Old Testament are types, shadows, pictures of what is going to come in the New Testament. Joseph is not given to us, though, simply as a type of Christ. For the Holy Spirit is working through Moses to write these things. In other words, God knows 2,000 years you know, beforehand what 
going to happen with Jesus, and we're getting it in the scriptures 2,000 years earlier. But Joseph also becomes a type of, of, in a sense, all believers. He becomes a type of Israel wandering in the wilderness so that they might know that no matter what happens to them, they are slaves for 400 years in Egypt. But the same God who delivered Joseph after 13 years is going to deliver them and is delivering them. God is still sovereign. And what is true of Joseph and what was true of Israel is true of those upon whom he has set his love in our generation now. And so as we look at this passage this morning in chapter 40 and chapter 41, our theme for this morning says, those who live for God's glory know that he is sovereignly carrying out his purpose in every detail of their lives. When we know that our existence is for the glory of God, when we know that that's our purpose for living, is, is that God might be glorified, and we understand what that means, then we know that God is working in every single detail of my life. And everything that happens, God is at work carrying out that much larger and greater plan for his purpose, just as he was for Joseph in these 13 years that he is a slave and he is imprisoned, or for Israel in its 400 years as slaves and prisoners in Egypt. So, let's take a look at this passage, and as we look at these two chapters of Genesis 40 and 41, it doesn't take long to notice that believers know that God is carrying out his eternal decrees in Joseph's life, and therefore also in our lives. God is carrying out his eternal decrees, his eternal purpose. That's great. But how would you have liked to have been Joseph? God is carrying out his eternal purpose. So Joseph, you get to be sold off as a slave. You get to be falsely accused. And you get to be tossed into prison and spend 13 years as a slave and a prisoner. At the end of chapter 41, Joseph is just 30 years old, but already he has suffered ridicule from his older brothers. His father, Jacob, has reprimanded him for giving the revelations that God had given in those dreams. He's sold by his brothers as a slave at the age of 17 years old. In Egypt, he remained a slave for several years. We don't know exactly how many, but for several years. And then he's falsely accused of attempted rape and thrown into prison. And then in that prison, he gives interpretations of dreams to a very high individual and asks that individual to remember him before Pharaoh, and the guy forgets him. And he spends two more years because he was forgotten. Joseph is a forgotten individual. And most of us would have looked at that situation of Joseph, and we would look at it, and we would ask with Job, where is God in all of this? Where is God in all of this? We're not talking about a Jacob who was, you know, really a bad guy most of his life until God finally broke through. 
We're talking about Joseph. We're talking about a guy who walks by faith. Where is God in this? Doesn't he know where Joseph is? Has God forgotten him like that, that cupbearer forgot him? Doesn't God care? His brothers didn't care about him, Joseph. Doesn't God care about him either? Can't God do anything about it? Don't we ask sort of those questions in our lives as well? And all the while, God is carrying out his eternal decrees. Joseph doesn't see what's behind the scene, but but God is carrying out those eternal decrees. God has purposed that the one who crushes the serpent's head is going to come through the line of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Jacob's family. In order for that to happen, God had told Abraham that in order for this this fulfillment of God's purpose, of God's decree, that his people, Abraham's descendants, were going to spend 400 years in a country that wasn't their own. By bringing Joseph into Egypt... God is preparing the way to bring Jacob and his whole family down into Egypt. And they're going to remain there for over 400 years. But by doing so, this is isolating them from the Canaanites because what's happening is the descendants of Abraham are beginning to intermarry with the Canaanites. And if they had stayed in Canaan, they would have just blended into the Canaanites and they, they, they would never have become a nation. But by bringing them down to Egypt and making them slaves in Egypt, it isolated them so that they could grow up and they could become a people, they could become a nation. Joseph doesn't know this, but you and I do because we have the scriptures. We get to see God's purpose in what's going on. But it wasn't only Joseph whom God was using to fulfill those decrees, was it? The arrest and the imprisonment of the cupbearer and of the baker fit into this as well. That's directed by God in order to prepare the way for Joseph to be able to interpret their dreams and therefore, when the time comes, to be able to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. We need to understand that God has purposed the salvation of his people through Jesus Christ. And in spite of the human brokenness, in spite of the world around us where everything seems to be going wrong, where wicked people are doing sinful things, the Lord is still directing all of those things toward that final end that people might be saved for eternity. The tapestry of your life may look like a tangled web. But remember that you are one thread in a great and glorious eternal tapestry. Your thread is just as important as that of Joseph, of Joseph's brothers and what they did, of Potiphar, of Potiphar's wife, the cupbearer, and even Pharaoh. Your thread in God's sight, in his plan, 
is just as important as theirs. Well, God is carrying out his eternal decrees. But we see a second truth in these two chapters. Believers know that God's purpose will be disclosed. God's purpose in what he's doing is going to be disclosed. From the start, God has worked through dreams with Joseph. As a young teen, he dreams two dreams about his family bowing down uh, before him, and that upsets Joseph's brothers, make them jealous of him. Are you going to lord it over us? But it's not Joseph's fault that God reveals his plans to Joseph, is it? It's not Joseph's fault, and yet by revealing those plans, Joseph's brothers sin. God doesn't make them sin. They react to the situation, which ends up with Joseph being sold off into Egypt. All of that fulfilling God's ultimate purpose. And so in the end, things turn out just as God discloses through those two dreams to Joseph. We're then confronted with the two dreams of the cupbearer and the baker, which Joseph interprets correctly. Finally, we have the two dreams of Pharaoh. God is disclosing his purpose through those six dreams, those three sets of two. You see, the prophet Amos explains all of that to us. Amos says, For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. In other words, we shouldn't ever be surprised. God is revealing, disclosing what he is doing. So does God still speak to us through dreams? Well, the answer is sometimes, but that's very unusual. When you hear people saying, you know, I had this dream or whatever, most of that's just agita, you know. They ate something bad for supper or they, you know, whatever. Most dreams are not dreams that God has sent to people. But there are times when God does. Uh, Many of us who follow what God is doing around the world have heard of, uh, for instance, particularly Muslims who have a dream. And in that dream, Jesus comes to them, as he did to the Apostle Paul and rode to Damascus, and reveals himself to them, and then they go seek the truth about him, and then they are saved and and come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So God does do that some, but again, that is not the usual way that God is working uh, today. But as we look at Joseph, he has these two dreams. One about the sheaves where his brothers bow down to his sheaf. And then he dreams the sun, moon, and 11 stars bow down to him as well. But did you notice in that, he gets these two dreams. He's able to interpret other people's dreams, but he can't interpret his own. You see, revelation comes from God as well. 
revelation in the dreams, but also revelation of what the dreams mean. Interpreting those dreams. He never knows until after he becomes the vizier, he never knows how that dream, what those dreams meant. Maybe when he was in Potiphar's house, maybe he thought, well, you know, I've been raised up to, 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 to be the head of Potiphar. Maybe that's what the dream meant. He has no idea at that point in his life. And a lot of times that's true of us. God has revealed himself to us, but he doesn't always reveal what's going to happen to us in the future. He discloses himself to us. He shows us who he is. He calls us into a relationship with him. He gifts us and gives us abilities to serve him. But he doesn't always clarify exactly what he wants of us at that particular moment. Revelations come from God. The writer of Hebrews, though, takes it one step further. He begins that great book of Hebrews by saying, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. In other words, under the old covenant, before Jesus Christ came, God gave those revelations through dreams to the prophets. He spoke to us through the prophetic literature, through the scriptures. But now he has spoken to us by his son. During the Old Testament, the beginning of the New Testament, the people of God did not have the indwelling Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who is the one who reveals God's truth to us, and he did it through the prophets. The book of Numbers explains how God did that. In Numbers 12, it says, And the Lord said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. So God worked through the prophets. The dreams and the visions were given to prophets so that he would be disclosing what his purpose and what his plans were for the people of God. Now, however, God has provided us with two ways in particular for us to know what he is about. The Holy Spirit and the scriptures. In 2 Peter, we read, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention. In other words, what he's saying is, we have the scriptures. We have the prophetic word being the Old Testament. They now had the Old Testament. The scriptures, God had given them what the prophets had said over time. And, And he says, and you'll do well to pay attention. In other words, you do well to study it. The reason we study the Old Testament is because we're told to, right, <laughs> right here in 2 Peter. We're told to study what would have been the scriptures for him, which would have been the Old Testament. But then he goes on. He says, know this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy is ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that carried them along as the same Holy Spirit that lives in those of us who are believers and opens up God's truth to us. In the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, the main point of the parable is given by Abraham in, in, in Abraham's discussion at the end of that 
parable. So it says, Abraham said to him, that is to the rich man who is in uh, hell, right? Abraham said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced that someone should rise from the dead. In other words, it's not dreams and it's not visions and it's not some special you know, angel appearing and it's not those kind of things. Because what do, we, what do we see today? We see Touched by an Angel, right? We see the movie program Touched by an Angel. And what is Touched by an Angel? Well, it's God sending an angel to do this for you and to do that for you and, and, and all of that kind of stuff, right? Or it's a wonderful life, right? Got to wait for that angel to get its wings with the ringing of the bell, right? So we, we, we have these, these contemporary um, things that are basically saying, well, the only way that you're really going to know God is if he sends you a special angel. And it builds up that sort of anticipation. And in, what, in this parable of the rich man and Lazarus, what Abraham is saying, and of course it's Jesus really saying this, is if you don't believe the scriptures, it doesn't matter what miracle happens. You will misinterpret, you'll miss what God is saying. If you do not study the scripture and you do not know the word, as the Holy Spirit enlightens you, as, as the Holy Spirit discloses God's truth to you, if you don't know that, then it doesn't matter what kind of miracles happen out there because you will be misled. The foundation of truth is in the scriptures today, the scriptures that speak to us of Jesus Christ. God discloses his purpose in his word for all who will listen. People want to know what God's will is for their life, and I've joked about it before that we kind of treat God's will as the fourth person in the Trinity. Right? You have the Father, you have the Son, you have the Holy Spirit, and you have God's will. Right? We're always seeking for something out there when we have God's will already revealed to us in, the, in his word. It is there for us. But the people around us, they want those signs. They want those visions. And so billions are spent on tarot cards, palm readings, and horoscopes, and every other form of deception. You don't have to seek for God's will for your life when you have the scriptures. When you read about Joseph and his dreams, it is not there to have you go say, God, give me a vision of my future. God has already disclosed to you what his purpose is in his word. It is there. If you study it, God will disclose his purpose for your life through that word. But there is a third point I want you to notice here. And that is that believers know God will always bring deliverance. God will always bring deliverance. You know, some people read the story of Joseph, they see him raised up to be the vizier of, of Egypt. Uh, they, they look at Daniel in the lion's den, and God closes the mouths of the lions. They, they look at uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the, the three Hebrew young men in the fiery furnace, and see God delivering them uh, from that. And they take it to mean that no matter what the situation they find themselves in, God is going to bring 
them out of it. That he is going to do good for them. By deliverance, then, what they're saying is it's some kind of powerful miracle that saves my life now. But that's not what the scripture says. That's not what the scripture means. Take, for instance, the 11th chapter, what we call the the chapter of the heroes of faith in the book of Hebrews. If you look closely at the final section in that chapter, something that you won't hear the prosperity preachers preaching from, right? Here's what it says. And some, these are people of faith it's talking about. These are the heroes of faith. He says, and some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and floggings and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. You don't hear that preached from by Joel Osteen. You see, these are great men and women of God who suffered for the sake of his name. Joseph endured 13 years of hardship and mistreatment. Now, yes, eventually he was delivered in his life, but it certainly was a long time in coming for him. So what do we mean when we say that God will deliver? The question becomes deliverance for whom and from what? What has God promised that he will deliver us from? We hear that God is going to deliver us. And the first thing that we tend to think of is God is going to give deliverance for me so that I'm blessed in this life. But that's not what it means. It means deliverance for God's purpose to be carried out in this world. God's purpose is that the whole universe be delivered from the bondage of death. Joseph was delivered not so that he might become vizier of Egypt, Joseph was delivered so that he might be the means by which God could bring Jacob and his family down into Egypt to become slaves for 400 years. In the end, the weaving of the tapestry is not for a single thread. The weaving of the tapestry is each thread interwoven into that tapestry. so that that tapestry becomes a completed picture. Some strings are long, and some are short. Some go in long straight lines, and others are all knotted up. But every one has a purpose in bringing about the perfection of that ultimate picture the design of the tapestry. And the same is true for us. God is working all things for the good. He is weaving a tapestry that is eternal in purpose. 
And ultimately, each string, whether it's you or me or Nicodemus or King Hezekiah or Pharaoh or Joseph or the cupbearer, everyone finds deliverance when the whole is done. You're part of God's weaving of his purpose in this world. Some of us live a happy, blessed earthly life. Others suffer for extended periods of time. God is working so that all who by faith trust in Jesus Christ will be delivered from sin, from the effects of the curse, and even from death itself in eternity. Don't short-circuit what God is doing in your life. Trust that he knows best and he is weaving your life in a way that will ultimately bring about the good for the kingdom and for that ultimate purpose in eternity. Our deliverance may not be in this life, but it is assured for eternity if we've trusted in Christ. Which brings us to the final point I want you to understand from these two chapters. Deliverers or believers know that what God purposes, God designs. What God purposes, he designs. He, he brings it around. The writer of Hebrews gives us a partial uh, definition of what it means to live by faith. We call it the faith chapter, the, the chapter of the heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11. And he begins by saying, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of, scenes not, uh, of things not seen. Assurance, conviction. Those are words that stress a strong foundation for your belief. Faith is not a wish. Faith is not a hope. Faith is not a belief on inner feelings. Faith must have a foundation so strong that it cannot be shaken by any challenges, by doubts, by fears, by circumstances, or trouble. The writer goes on to say that without faith, it is impossible to please God. In other words, without trusting in what God is doing, you can't live a life that will please God because you will always be trying to do it your own way. You will always be trying to figure out how God messed up and how you can straighten it out. You can't please God living that way. You must believe that God in his sovereignty is working all things together for good. Weaving that pattern together. That foundation must rest then on the bedrock of the nature and the character of God himself. Since the scripture states that God does not change, that he does not lie, then once you or I are convinced that God is who he claims to be, then our faith is rooted in the bedrock of his nature and will not be shaken just as surely as the Verrazano Bridge is established in the bedrock of the Hudson Bay. Since God is unchangeable, his purpose in creation is unchangeable. Before the foundations of the world were ever set in place, God designed the outworking of what he was going to accomplish. And every moment, every activity, 
every person, every flea and every mosquito, every lion and every elephant is a piece in the puzzle of life. Can any one person know what the ultimate design is, what the final picture is going to be? When you came in, you were given a puzzle piece. If you just hold that puzzle piece up. Okay. All right. Now, I want you to look at that puzzle piece. I want you to tell me what the picture is. Okay. Can anybody tell me from that puzzle piece what the, the, the total picture is going to be? Nope. <laughs> Everybody answers Jesus. Hmm. Okay, I'm glad I didn't pick a picture with Jesus in it. You can keep guessing. The thing is, you will not know what it is unless you see the whole picture, will you? So let's take a look at the picture. There's no way that you having that one piece of puzzle in your hand that you would know what the puzzle is. That's your life. That's your life. Your life might be a little bit of a white spot that makes up that dog's face or paws. It might be a piece of, of, of chipped paint from that stepladder. You and I, we do not know what that puzzle piece is. You don't know what your life is, but it is, if you're a child of God, but even the world out there, everything is being fit together, ultimately, for God's purpose. Joseph, even with the fact that God had given him two dreams related to his future, could never have guessed that he was going to end up being the vizier of the, one of the greatest nations on the earth at that time. As he served in Potiphar's house, he could only think that the dream was related to that. He couldn't see his future. And as he was there in prison, could he possibly have known that his brothers would soon be bowing before him, even as the dream had predicted? My friends, God has already determined the part that you and I are going to play in this puzzle, in this tapestry of life. He has designed what you will accomplish for eternity. You might be a part of the puppy's paw. You might be a part of the falling leaf. We don't know. But in the end, it is one beautiful picture. Johnny Erickson, who became Johnny Erickson Tata, could never have known as a vibrant and active teenager that her diving into the pool would change her life forever, making her a quadriplegic. Still, that accident has given her an international ministry that she never could have dreamed of as a teenager. The Lord is working in your life. The Apostle Paul states, he is working in your life to will and to do of his good pleasure, not yours, but his. 
Will you walk by faith? Will you trust this God who in Genesis 3 promised that he would crush the head of the serpent? And he brought everything in the world together so that Jesus Christ could be born. Every event of life, the Hyksoses invading Egypt were a part of that. The Israelites wandering 40 years in the wilderness. The Philistines conquering King Saul. The exiles by way of the Assyrians and the Babylonians. The conquering by the Medes and the Persians and then the Greeks and finally the Romans. All of history worked together as Galatians 4 states it. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. When the fullness of time had come, when God's putting together of that tapestry and bringing all of history, weaving it together for that one moment in time when Jesus Christ would be born, come into this world, and the gospel could go to the ends of the earth. And that same God is at work today. Every moment of history since then, including your birth and your life, has come as a part of the same design by the Creator, the Redeemer, the Judge of the whole earth. And everything is moving to the final picture, to the climax of history, when the tapestry would be fully revealed in the second coming of Jesus Christ. May God be praised. May his name be exalted. And so I ask you, as we conclude this morning, have you learned to rest in the sovereign purpose of God? Or are you fighting God in that? Is his eternal purpose of greater worth to you than the daily issues that you face? Let's pray. We bow before you, God, and we acknowledge that we are far more like Jacob than we are like Joseph most of the time. We question, we wonder, we doubt, we fear. We ask you to forgive us and open our hearts so that like Joseph, no matter where we are or what's going on, we can have assurance that it is all part of that design that you are working out that is ultimately going to bring about your eternal purpose through Christ Jesus, through his church, through his people, and through me for your glory and for the good. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.